Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. How's your week been? Day two. <laughs> yeah, uh, been all right so far. Um, just getting into things, really. How about you? Yeah, yeah, same, same, really. Uh, we, we're we're planning our trip back to the UK at the moment, so we're trying to figure out all the things we need to do. I've got a whiteboard full of stuff. It's funny how some things you just have to put on a whiteboard. You can't put it on on a digital mean. I was thinking the other day how I miss having one and I do have a good wall space where I could get one and put one up. Just nice. Sometimes I do sticky notes. I just like to have visual reminders of this or, you know, when you are thinking through something, sometimes it's just the tactile nature of drawing it out and a, a big marker is just more I don't know, interesting, satisfying. It it kind of keeps you in the flow, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, well I think I mean we've talked about this before, the tactile nature of it, but mm-hmm. I think it's also that 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 um drawing it big so you can see it every day. Um I was actually if we if we'd stayed in South Africa longer, I was planning a um a wall mounted L C D screen that I can see all my tasks on and, and all the all the stuff. Like I've built a dashboard on my desktop. That I look at, but I, I yep. just want that screen to be up all the time because if you work here, it gets hidden behind all the other things you're doing. And I was looking at YouTube videos to build my own one, and I've got a friend who's quite a good, you know, good with his hands. I was going to get him to build it for me, and um, you know that that would be like my way of using the digital way of doing it, but also having the whiteboard because I can draw my iPad straight to it. Um, because then you can see the big picture while you're drawing the small picture. Yeah. It's, it's nice to have those visual reminders. That, that kind of relates mm. to what I'm doing now. Not that I don't want to get, well, we don't need to get too into it, but uh, digital signage um, software. Uh, so basically having screens, and they can be in a variety of locations, whether they're, um, you know, customer facing, like an airport or, employee facing like a corporate office where you would have digital screens that would, that could display something like a dashboard with KPIs so that, you know, employees in an area are, you know, have that top of mind. That's interesting. Yeah, I think, I think we'll see more and more of that. Um, I'm reading a very good series at the moment and it's, it's uh, my typical sort of book and sense that it's a space opera, um, very Star Trek sort of, themes to it uh really really well done actually i'm on my sixth book in the series uh, and i kind of um in fact i'm on my ninth book of this author in a row um and normally by now i've been in board of the author but he actually writes very well so each book is different but the piece that i was interested that, that sort of made me think was they're inside a vessel and they they're talking about uh or they, they're going into deal with the enemy 
and they're putting information on the screen, contextually relevant to what they're doing. And I just thought, yeah, you know, that's that's what's missing sometimes from what we do, is, it's, and, and it's quite easy to do if you know what the process is. So if you are a, I don't know, a, a loan originator, you would need to have the person's FICO score or credit score. You'd need to have their pay slips. You'd need to have their earnings, their debt, all that stuff on the screen. That's quite easy to put up because you know what you need to have in that process. But when you're doing a job that is is very varied as a knowledge worker, you know, one day like today I'm doing um, some financial stuff, tomorrow I might be doing some project stuff. Those screens are all different and the information need are all different. And I'd, I'd love to see something, and, and this is where I think Apple has got some of it right with um, some of the stuff they do on the, on the iPad to predict the apps that you're using um, at a given time. Or, you know, when you're at this location, you do your fitness stuff, so do you want to start your fitness activity? It's the same sort of thing, but now actually putting the stuff on the screen to say, um, you've opened up this spreadsheet. Whenever you open this spreadsheet, you always open this PowerPoint or these PowerPoints, which you like these opened. Um, you know, you're spending way too much time on your email. Maybe you should spend less time on your email, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm just looking forward to that sort of stuff happening in the working day. Yeah, more kind of intelligent, behavior-based actions. Because you can, I guess, some to an to extent, you can you know, self-automate some things. Um, I've been experimenting lately with just the focus modes on the mm-hmm. iPhone. So I, I program more focus modes. If I kick into a workout, um, that blocks most of my notifications uh, and just kind of seeing what that does. Yeah, I guess that, you know, you, you can't automate, but it's not um, that, that the uh, having a system do it for you which I think Microsoft is actually uh, the the insights, you know, is it Viva Insights now? Do they rebrand to that? But the, you know, cumulative kind of suggestions on the way that you're working is maybe the closest thing that I've experienced to what you were describing um, and the, the prompts to book focus time and, and whatnot into your calendar based on how it observes you. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that I have found quite useful with that is the um, every morning sends you that, that Aviva email and it says, oh, you had this email with this 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 question. Have you done this? Yes or no? Um, that's That sometimes can be useful. Uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to get, again, out of email. Out of email. I mean, you worked for Lakeside, so you, you know the culture. There's a lot of emails that fly around. Um and and for the most part, we're into Teams and we're using Teams. Um, but there's still some some conversations that, that start in email, and I try and move them across to Teams because it's a bit easier to keep track that way. Uh, and I was looking for something this morning. You know, I wasted like half an hour looking for this email. And and I realized that the Outlook on Mac is not nearly as good as the Outlook on Windows. So I've had to bite the bullet and open up the Windows laptop to look for the email because I just found it quicker that way, which is very frustrating. So I'm, I'm hoping that there'll be some parity. In fact, I've started looking for a new email client. Um, so I think that might be my solution. Um, but yeah, the tool is always important to the process. I've also noticed that Outlook on Mac seems to lack some of the features or things. Uh, I've had difficulty just with calendaring and um 
adding calendars for my contacts and comparing. It does not work on Mac. <laughs> at least not like it did on Windows. I don't think it's user error. I don't know. But little things like that. Um, and Outlook search, even on Windows, is kind of notoriously not always that great. But, but yeah, I'm right there with you in that pain. It does look um, very strange. Yeah, the, the search is very bad. I, I don't know what, yeah. what they were thinking um, with that. And, and it, uh, look, I, I haven't compared it to the iPad, iPad version, but I do feel like the iPad version is better uh, mm -hmm. of Outlook than, or, or maybe the, maybe it's the, the, the phone experience is just that much more mature. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it really could do with some work. So what do you say you opened in Windows? Was that Windows 11? Have you been using Windows 11 for anything? No, I've stayed with 10. I refuse okay. to to go that route um, until I'm forced to. In fact, I was listening to Steve Gibson today on his Security Now podcast and how he's written a Never, a Never 11 app, um, and I'm tempted to go that route. Um, I just... Uh, like with Windows 8, I just didn't see the I just don't see the point of 11. Um, in fact, I was we were arguing about something last week, and they were telling me about a customer that actually went to went to Windows 8, and I just said, "What idiot went there? Like I've never heard of a customer going there. Like everyone stayed on Windows 7, um, and because Windows 7 actually was a very good operating system, but it, it, it did everything right. It was a good performance. It had good performance. Um, it was really easy to maintain." And patch, um, and the and the UI wasn't wasn't bad. You know, like everyone was happy with it. It was kind of the the Toyota Corolla of operating systems. Just just operated, you know, easy to keep. Easy, as I say, it all all the right things. Um, Windows eight was like I don't know, putting a, a racing pack on it, and all these other bells and whistles that you didn't really need. Uh, the, the, the silly tiles. Um, and I think it was a, it was a step backwards uh, in a lot of respects. I know we skipped it for a lot of performance reasons. Um, and then Windows 10, yeah, I didn't I didn't massively like it, but it's if you take away all the bloatware, it's not too bad. So so Windows 11 to me is just more bloat. Mm. Yeah, it does have some parallels with eight in terms of it being mainly a design kind of focus and experiment in design more so than um, kind of offering any new really enticing feature, at least for business users. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, so we'll see what, uh, what happens. I've, I've got to, when we get back to the UK, I'm going to probably take the hit and buy a desktop for home. Um, I want to start exploring the, uh, the VR world. Um, and I was actually chatting with one of the other CIOs that I know. And um, the reason I mentioned it by title is there's a few people that are looking at it from that from that level to help with in-person meetings. Um, so once once he formalizes this little working group, I'm going to ask him very nicely if he wouldn't come on here and share the experiences, the feedback, et cetera. Um, so I think that's something that, that will be very interesting for the future. You know, could you have a, a quest? I think it's a quest too. Um, which is the device that he is using? Could you have those for people working remotely, working remote that want to do in-person meetings, at least as a starting point, uh, and then see from there? So the metaverse might be closer than we think. Yeah, that'd be great to have someone who's actually 
actually doing it um, because I think that's that's the kind of the thing with a lot of the VR tech is that um, you know it has applications, it has ways it's used, and you know mixed reality and like I always think of military examples, but um, actually getting kind of embedded in the office, I haven't. I feel like that is always more just kind of talked about than actually ends up happening maybe because of the hardware costs, which I think have gone down over the past few years in terms of, um, well, yeah, those headsets. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't believe the price to be honest. I mean, in my head, I was thinking like a couple of grand and then I, and then I saw the price and, and because I'm in South Africa, obviously the, the search engine gave me the, the South African price, which was, and it was like 5,000 rand. And I was like, that can't be right. That's like 250 pounds. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. So then I went and looked on the website and the website was in US dollars and that was 300 and something. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's, that is actually the price, which then is doable. It really is doable because that's cheaper than an iPad. You know, and if you're going to use it, you know, the way I always justify purchase, if you're going to use it more than, than you know, 10 times, what's that going to work out to? And in this case, it's going to work out to 30, 30 pounds a time, which is cheap because if you start playing games on it and, and using it for the odd meeting, I mean, I'd love to do a meeting in, in virtual reality where um, it's, you know, back to our whiteboard analogy, you're now moving objects around and you're brainstorming and, you know, very much like, at, you know, minority report sort of thing where your hands are out and you're doing things and, and you're building relationships. That would be awesome. I don't know how long you could do it for. I think you'd probably get dizzy yeah. after 20, 30 minutes, but, but that'll, that'll come with time. They'll improve the technology. I mean, the, the best technology would be totally holographic where you don't need to have um, a headset and, and stuff in your hands. Um, but we'll get there. Yeah. I'm curious, um, something you said around the, the odd meeting, I think is what you said. I think... Um, at least in the in the headset world that obviously the technology is not quite fit for the eight hour back to back meeting day. <laughs> Can you imagine being in a headset uh, all day? That'd be a nightmare. So it almost has to be like a, a coordinated, intentional, this is a brainstorm session. This is a type of meeting that would call for us to put our headsets on. Otherwise, I just feel like, yeah, the physical discomfort would start to come in. But then I also wonder if, um, you know, Meta or Microsoft, the VR meeting rooms that they have, if they have a kind of mixed experience where some people can have headsets and some people would just be looking at avatars on the screen if they wanted to take a break or if they didn't have a headset, say you were meeting with a vendor or something like that and they didn't have the tech yeah, I don't, I don't know how that would work. Uh, I mean, I can speculate. I, I, can, I can imagine that um, much like today, if you want to have a meeting with someone that doesn't have it, you'd be, doesn't have the same application, you'd be going through a browser. You'd have a third-person point of view. You know, the cameras are pretty sophisticated nowadays. And if you look at the way, again, Apple's gone with their chipset, the machine learning on, on board is probably there in order to learn your, your facial responses and all the rest of it so it could in theory pick up what you're doing and translate that into your avatar and 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 that would be fairly realistic i mean look at what they do with movies and with uh, with games right now they are pretty realistic it's not perfectly realistic but the camera as i say is is there 
there just needs to be that interpretation mechanism, which to, to a large part, I think, is just programming. I think the hardware is already there. Maybe your your video would just be in the virtual conference room on the screen and then the avatars are meeting or you have the, yeah. I just yeah, translate the, the conference room into the virtual conference room. I don't know, but yeah, those are the things that are coming to mind for me is, is how long, how much time in a day can you really spend in that kind of environment? Um, I'm actually backtracking to one of my things that I was quite adamant about, uh, which is having a video at all the time. Um, I'm finding if it's a one-to-one or one-to-three call, having my camera on is fine. But when you're on a camera call, on a call, sorry, with, with you know, 100 people, there's no point having your camera on. Yeah. Uh, unless, you're, unless you're speaking. I think I think if you're speaking, yeah. like, you know, you need to be a facilitator or something like that, your camera should be on. But if you're there just to listen, you know, have your camera off, you, you know, because it is, it is exhausting to have your camera on all the time. Um, and I think it's important also just a psych- sub-psychological thing where if your camera's on, people automatically will listen to you. And if everyone's got the cameras on, then they don't know who to listen to. So I think that that might be one of the things that I'm going to change my view on. I know some people say, well, if the camera's off, they're not paying attention. Well, so what? If they're not paying attention, then, the, you know, that's that's their own thing to catch up or, folk, you know, to do the work that they missed out on. Um, everyone's adults. So. Yeah, I usually turn my do the same thing. I turn my camera off in those very large meetings unless I'm speaking. Um, at least none of the meetings I haven't tried. I know where there is the Microsoft together mode and there's maybe some views where you can actually see everyone on a screen. But I find it distracting if I can only see five people and there's, you know, hundreds of people on a call. I'm like, well, I don't know who can see me. And something about that. I'm like, I like, where is my video appearing? You know, in this mass meeting, I don't, I don't know. It's it's weird for me to just have my video on so other people can watch me paying attention <laughs> or drinking my coffee or, you know, it's like, why does, why does it need to be on in that case? And I guess, you know, I think there are some nice ways that people can multitask during those large meetings. Maybe they get up and stretch and listen in, or maybe they are eating lunch, you know, and, Neither of those things means that they're not paying attention, but um, they probably don't want mm. to be on video for that. <laughs> no, sure. I mean, I've got my, my little space behind me and I walk around in circles sometimes while I'm listening. So, and, and that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm changing my stance on it because um, I was very much, uh, you know, cameras on all the time. But I've got some, like, like with my team, I've got some people that are taking on new roles in the team. And I said, look, in this role, you've got to be seen as someone that they can trust. And the only way they're going to trust you is if they can see you. So if you want to be in this role, that that's part of the role. Now I'm not saying you always have to have it on. I'm just saying a camera is important because people don't know what you look like. They can't see if you're joking or not, all those sorts of things. And, and to, you know, in their defense, you know, they, they said, well, I, I agree, you know, in this role, you know, I'm not just a contributor now. I'm actually a leader. I need to do it. So I think there's that natural sort of switch up, um, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, I, it's so there's so much kind of unspoken etiquette about uh, those little things. But I think especially if you're, yeah, if you're on a one-to-one or if you haven't met before, I think it's almost a, a little bit of a sign of respect, too, just to show your face. But 
I know it's it can yeah, exactly. people get used to not doing that, and then it, it especially on tech teams, I find is there's less less people have their cameras on, but yeah, they're not well, you know they don't interface with as many people, so. Yeah, look, I think there there are a level of well, there's a, there's definitely a personality thing to it, and and um, look, I was one of those guys. Um, I didn't like to have my camera on. Uh, it's almost like you're, you're an Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I was one of those people that drank too much. I was one of the people that kept my camera off too much. Um, and and as I've gotten older in it, and I've realised that actually having the camera on keeps me involved in the call better. Because what I would do in those, in those meetings where I wanted the cameras off is I'd be doing 10 other things. Yeah. You know, and, and that's also not good. Um, I'm not saying you have to stare someone down the, old, the whole time on the camera, but at least they can see if you're engaged or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, was there anything else top of mind for you today? So I'm just trying to think what I'd sent you. There was some other stuff. I, I, oh, I sent you the um, a YouTube clip mm-hmm. to have a watch. And the, and the title was Microsoft just killed Zuck's metaverse. Um, and I mean, it, it repeats what we, what we said in, in, in some respects yeah. that, um, well, it, not, not everything we said. So I'll, I'll talk about the things that I thought were interesting. So the, the one thing is, is what, what I said in the last conversation was that the Xbox is, is going to be that device that gets you into the metaverse. Um, and the gaming companies uh, further bolster Microsoft's ability to to set up the metaverse. What I didn't mention, which is in this YouTube clip, is the the reason why Facebook will probably or Meta will probably fail is they haven't done they haven't done the smart things they should have done. And if you compare them to say Google, where Google has grown up as a company where their their biggest revenue is search, that's their function, that's the biggest capability. But even even so, they've still built out other pieces of the pie. They've built out Android. They've got devices. They've built out the Chrome OS operating system. So they've got Chromebooks. So if they get into a, a, you know, a pissing contest with Microsoft and they, you know, they leave the party, they've still got those platforms. The problem with Facebook is they haven't done those things. They kind of talked about it. They kind of tried it. Then they pulled out. So they tried to build the Facebook phone. That didn't come off. They talked about building a workplace um, OS, which they never built, but they did build their workplace for the corporate environment, which I don't know how many people actually use. Um, so they're very dependent on partnerships with the likes of Apple and with with Microsoft. Um, I don't know if you saw that they are going to report, a, I think it's a billion dollars or $10 billion. It might be $10 billion. A less, lot, yeah. Because of IFD being switched on. And I don't think that's the problem. Uh, you know why then why they got the revenue loss i think their problem is that people actually don't have value for facebook it's it's actually becoming more and more of a negative thing even in conversations um and i mean i've been anti-facebook for a while but i keep it unfortunately because i have to for some of the apps that i use even even in conversations now people are saying to me oh, you know i just like to get rid of it but i only get rid of it because of you know two reasons it's my authentication for certain apps or it's the only way i keep in contact with certain friends and even those things, they're trying to move them across to other platforms. Unfortunately, one of those platforms is WhatsApp, which is still Facebook. Um, right. And that's kind of keeping them in the game. But the, the thing that, that the, this guy was saying, which I agreed with, so we talked about the platforms and the pieces they're missing, is they don't have the critical mass to actually, well, they're trying to own the metaverse, 
but they don't have the critical components to make the critical mass to actually own the metaverse, whereas Microsoft does. And even Apple does to an extent. And that's where this will become very interesting. And we're not, you know, as I said, I don't know how far away we are from seeing these things. It all depends on what Apple presents as their approach to the metaverse. But we know Microsoft's already working on it because they've already got a HoloLens. Um, it's been out, they've got their second version of it or third version of it. They've got the gaming engines now. Um, they've got the desktops in, in, the, in the business. So it's really a case of just tying these things together and, and putting something out there. The, the problem with Microsoft, and this is you know back to my opinion, not what was in the video, is their first version, second version tend to be quite bad. And I think they've got to be careful with this one because if, if it, the first two, two versions are bad, people go somewhere else. And, and that could be the, the end of it for them. Mm. Yeah, a few other interesting pieces of this in terms of, I guess, the business side of things. Thinking more broadly is that Microsoft has such a huge B2B level of experience that Facebook doesn't have outside of workplace. You know, they've tried to make inroads, but obviously Microsoft is a giant when it comes to the enterprise. And that just because you're a visionary, you know, like Bill Gates was a visionary on um, a lot of future tech, like that's turned into things like the iPhone, um, doesn't mean you are the one to capture the market. So I could I could see that happening with Meta, especially as you mentioned, all the kind of negative feelings that I'd say the majority have towards the company. But the other thing that I thought about that, that didn't come up in that particular video was, um, you know, when really the conversation started to kick off heavily about the metaverse. Part of the conversation was that no, no one company will own it. You know, it kind of will be this cross platform collaborative, you know, like the internet, like no one company owns it, but I think it's probably more about who is going to have the majority stake in it from a Mm. tech giant point of view, who's going to capture most of it. And I um, would agree that Microsoft seems pretty well set up to be able to do that. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, I need to tie up. I've got my next uh, next meeting to go to. Yay. All right. <laughs> Enjoy. Cool. I'll speak to you later. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. Bye. Cheers, Ryan. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.